Shields and Vortex Optics are giving away a Polaris Ranger XP1000 valued at $17,000. The Shields Dream Ride giveaway runs from July 26th to August 27th. Register now at shields.com slash win. Hey, what's up, guys? Eric Ben Workham here at Mealy Freak. I'm here on the Shields Outdoor Podcast, where we're going to be talking about Western mule deer hunting, some tips, some tricks, some tactics, and also drawing some parallels and some comparisons between mule deer hunting and whitetail hunting. Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. My name is Mike Anderson, and today we're going to be talking about Western hunting and in specific mule deer hunting. So mule deer has quickly crept up to the list, the top of the list of my personal favorites for animal to chase. And we've got a guest with us today who shares that exact same passion. His name is Eric Van Workham of Muley Freak. And we're going to be talking mule deer strategy, tips, tactics, get ourselves ready for the season. Eric, thank you for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and how Muley Freak got started? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be on here and talk a little bit about one of my number one passions, and that is mule deer hunting. But yeah, so I grew up on a dairy, uh, a Jersey dairy here in northern Utah. And, uh, you know, farm farming was obviously a big deal for hit us out west along with athletics, and, and the next thing was hunting. And I look forward every fall to getting up in the woods and uh, and hunting mule deer. And so that that was my number one passion. You know, I going back through scrapbooks and looking at my grandpa's photos of all those bucks piled in the trucks or hanging from the rafters of the farm. And I just developed in this passion bred inside of me for mule deer hunting. So um, fast fast forward, you know, a couple decades. Um, I saw an opportunity on Facebook with this whole social media craze and I wanted to create a brand around my passion that is mule deer hunting. And, you know, we launched a couple of giveaways and all of a sudden Muley Freak was born. So it was, it was, it was that crazy and that fast. And all of a sudden we're like, man, what did we do? So, you know, we de- developed a little bit of a brand and did some t-shirts and hats and eventually developed some specialty products. And now here we are. So, yeah, it's crazy how things can go from just having a passion and wanting to share that to, you know, like using social media to find like-minded people and just starting a fire from there. Yeah, uh, it, it is pretty, it's, it is pretty remarkable. If you think about pre-social media and, and how we communicated with folks to now that we're, you work for Shills and I'm a Millie Freak and we're discussing something over a computer that we both love. It's crazy how technology has driven this, the outdoor and the hunting industry specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just absolutely insane. So, um, what is it about the mule deer that just like drives you crazy and gets you pumped? Man, I, I, I think for me, in my mind, the mule deer is the icon of the West. And, you know, back into the 1950s where habitat was thriving, um, there was just giant mule deer everywhere out here. It seems like 
you know, our grandparents and, and great uncles were just killing these slammer bucks with their 3030s, right? I mean, um, and then as, you know, some of the habitat started to disappear as we built houses along the Wasatch Front here, um, familiar with the Sandy Store, that, that whole corridor right there um, is kind of the wintering ground. So we saw, so we saw the mule deer start to struggle. And I think with the growth of the population, mule deer declined, which made opportunities rare. And as you know, if something becomes a scarcity, it becomes more popular. And so, you know, I think mule deer kind of picked up from there. But um, back to your back to your question, I just think that a mule deer and a big mature mule deer is, in my opinion, is one of the hardest trophies to come by when it comes to Western big game hunting because they're so smart, they're so cunning, and a lot of times they don't come out of the woodworks until the rut. And so, I think, you know, bagging a big mule deer is it's just the top in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. And, and I never really started hunting mule deer until probably five years ago. So I'd been, you know, like I grew up in central Minnesota, like whitetail, whitetail Mecca, basically like that's, that's what you hunt around there. So like I grew up hunting whitetail and then moved to, moved to North Dakota, moved to Fargo and, uh, you know, just right across the border. It's not really mule deer country there, but I was in a, you know, like I'm now in a state that has a good mule deer population. So I'm like, okay, I'll start applying for tags, you know, like rifle, it takes five to eight years to draw one. So, um, you know, I finally, I, I was applying with my wife and she, and she drew a tag first. So oh, wow. yeah, it just, it, it gave me a reason to like go out there with my bow and really get into it and kind of you know, like understand how, how to hunt them and where they're at and stuff like that. And it just immediately, I absolutely loved it. Just the thought of, of like going to new terrain, like some breaky stuff and spot and stock. I just, I love spot and stock now. It's super fun. You know, like growing up sitting in a tree and waiting, like now I can go and I can chase these animals. I can make my own luck. They're big and they're smart different mentality it's just it's so fun chasing these animals yeah. It, 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 yeah you hit the you hit the nail on the head with kind of the versatility thing like going out and making your own luck you know what's really unique about mule deer is you'll find them in the crop lot cropland in the bottoms in these coolies all the way up to you know twelve thousand five hundred feet at the, at, at the high country of wyoming and hunting them in those different terrains is, is just so exhilarating especially when you're hunting high country mule deer and, and actually harvesting one of those deer is, it's something to really be proud of because it is that tough. It is next level when you're up into that kind of country. And so for an adventure guy or a backpack hunter, um, it's, it's just something we all dream about out West. And I think growing up too, um, you know, the white tail shows were so prevalent, right? You, you saw there was the Lee and Tiffany's, there was the Michael Waddell's and hunting white tail and tree stand, which is super cool, but you just didn't see those mule deer shows until recent years, you know? And even then you still don't see a lot of high country uh, TV shows. So it's just, the mule deer is just special because number one, they're, they're so hard to, to go after. They're hard to obtain tags a lot of times and they just live in such different types of terrain and, and from, from the low badlands to the high country. So they're pretty unique. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And it's just be, being able to film that adds a whole new level of difficulty too. you know, oh, like, yeah. cause if you're, if you're trying to film a whitetail show, you know, like 
it's not easy by any means, but like you can, you can really plan stuff out a lot more. You're like, okay, well, I know I'm going to have this tree and that tree for my camera person. And we're going to have this angle and then, you know, kind of make it happen from there. But like with mule deer, you're like, you have no idea where you're going to be set up, what the situation's going to be. Maybe it's good for video. Maybe it's not just kind of flying by the seat of your pants. Oh man, it's tough. And if you get enough time to scout, you know, you've got to make these trips into the back country where you've got to commit three, four days to try to scout these bucks. And you know, when you're up in that kind of country on public land, it just makes scouting tough, you know? And then you add the filming aspect like you just talked about. Um, good luck finding a cameraman that wants to go on a trip and watch you kill a deer that's that extreme, you know what I mean? So <laughs> Yeah, uh, and if you it, find one, make sure to hang on to them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Make sure to hang on to them because, you know, be, you just beat yourself up in some of that country, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just brutal. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, just the... The reward, though, when it all comes together, it's just cloud nine. Yeah, just cloud nine. In fact, we have a we have a mule deer country series that we put on YouTube last year, and the first two videos are the high country. And Tyler and I, we ended up killing on day thirteen of a high country mule deer hunt, and um, just the feeling going out of there in the dark with these two giant bucks on horses was just. You know, <laughs> Western hunting, backpacking, you add horses into it, it it's it's just on a parallel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for those that haven't done it, just start applying for tags. Get somewhere where you can do over-the-counter. Just get out there and try it. You have to. Yeah, you, you have to try it at some point. You know, and you, you know, it's interesting. I'm sure it's the same with whitetail, but, you know, maybe, maybe one of the parallels is that you know, hunting mule deer in the early season versus hunting them in the rifle is, is completely different. Um, once those mule deer shed their velvet, uh, they go into the timber, their habits change, they can move basins, they can move different country, and they just become ghosts. Uh, that, that's why, you know, I know coos deer are called the ghosts, but we also call mule deer the ghosts because they literally just disappear once they go hard horned and they become so hard to pattern, almost unpatternable. They're hard to find, they're even harder to kill until that rut comes around so i don't know if it's like that with whitetail Uh, maybe you could speak to that yeah i mean i i'd say it's very similar they're like different applications different areas but but also very similar because like you know i spend i used to spend a lot of time hunting early season in north dakota for whitetail you know I, i actually used to be a guide for a couple of years and you know you could get the best pattern on bucks early season like okay, they're coming out of this bedding area and they're hitting this green soybean field and then they're, you know, they're following this tree row or whatever. So you could get a great pattern and then all of a sudden season comes along, they're shedding their velvet and then it's like, okay, where did they go? What are they doing now? So yeah, I mean, it it definitely similar and, and I'm sure a lot of both hunters share the share the same frustrations in that aspect but um you really kind of got to uh you got to think about the weather patterns and how things are changing you know like because um my cousin and i had a successful mule deer hunt last year and one of the one of the biggest factors to the success was just finding where they're bedding due to that that time of year you know like there it was hot so yeah. it's like, okay, you're going to find somewhere that's got good shade that's going to be in close proximity to water and, you know, in good cover at the same time. 
Yeah, yeah, those are those are three keys right there, especially early season. Water, cover, and bedding. If if you can find that, then you should be able to pattern them and uh, kind of make a plan from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the nice thing about hunting early season is like they're not nearly as educated yet. You know, like nobody's yeah. nobody's tried to stalk them or toss an arrow. So if you can if you can get over the hunting them in 80 90 degree weather aspect of it you can you can find some deer that are primed and ready to be uh to be stalked yeah sure 80 90 degrees that seems pretty cool right now it's like 100 <laughs> 105 here. yeah i guess i gotta i gotta think about the whole country you know i mean like it's it's yeah. hot here but then you know you get to like utah nevada stuff like that you're hitting oh, triple true. digits yeah, we're in trouble over here. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what the growth does to the antlers this year just because it's been so hot. But, you know, two two other challenges that I see with early season mule deer is, number one, rattlesnakes. you got to watch out for that kind of stuff when you're going on stocks in the prairie. I'm sure you being in North Dakota, you've ran into a few here and there. Yeah, ran into a couple. Would rather yeah, not, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather, I'd rather not deal with snakes either. And then, um, yeah, just the other challenge is just – just the heat really because it's it can be absolutely brutal and if you're hunting a spot where you don't have water let's say you're you drew a tag and backpacked in and you have to drop elevation to get water that makes the early season meal you're hunting too super tough because if you've got to drop 2,000 feet in elevation to go down and filter water and haul your water back that makes it pretty tricky early season too where you out just packing water mm-hmm. yeah that makes a lot of sense so like when you're trying to come up with spots to hunt especially like early season what's what's your thought process on on areas to target that you think is going to be good for mule deer hunting yeah no that's a great question so i do a lot of e-scouting um obviously i I use base map i like using the web product because that way i can get in there and identify basins but essentially kind of what we talked about i want to make sure there's good shape i want to make sure there's open hill size that they can get the nutrients they need uh, early season any type of you know grasses and, and that they'll they'll feed on that stuff and then water they, you've got to try to pinpoint where they're going to water from there you know i'll kind of mark a few spots i tr- typically try to find three or four spots that i'd like to try out just just on web the web map and then from there i like to get in there and go check them out mm-hmm. um, uh, the, one of the best things you can do and i know there's 3d products now and, and things you google earth that you can look up there but you got to get boots on the ground from you there honey because you it seems like you can find some good country where there's no deer um, that you would think there'd be deer. And so you just got to cross those spots off the list. So you don't want to be doing that come season, right? You want to have all those things kind of figured out before the season starts. So you're not burning valuable days of your hunt. So, and then I identify those online, shade, cover, water, and then I get boots on the ground and head in there and see what I can find. Okay. That makes sense. So, you know, when it, when it, comes to terms of like types of elevation do you like to hunt the really breaky stuff do you like to hunt sort of transition areas or what's your thought process there so it, it really just depends on the time of year um I, I think you know transition stuff for maybe mid-year um i think i like to go to the high country for early on um and it just depends on the weather. Like right now, we're, we're having um, weather issues, right? It's extreme drought right now. So, you know, you're going to have a hard time finding good feed. I went up just this last weekend scouting, and everything was still pretty green when I was where I was at. So I was pretty surprised. So 
but it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next uh, month before the season starts. Is mule deer, mule deer hunting out here, we have season start up as early as mid-August, so we're going to be hunting uh, mule deer with our bow out here in just a few short weeks. So again, it just depends on what the what the weather's doing on, on what I'm doing. You know, transitional areas. If I if I do find find some bucks in the high country, I like to bed animals up before I go in and stock in on them. A lot of times, if I can, depending on how the terrain is too, you might there might be spots where you can't get to them bedded up, and you might have to hunt them transitioning from from beds to feeding or from beds to water and whatnot. Um, I never really hunted mule deer over a blind, but I'm sure that's possible. And, some sort of scenarios but i think the biggest thing with mule deer is being able to be flexible um you might have to adapt to a lot of different hunting styles to get the job done and actually kill yeah absolutely that that is the game of the name name of the game with with mule deer just adaptability i know like i i referenced a little bit about uh about our hunt last year like i i had tagged one the first day and then the next day my hunting partner we started going after one and we got to this area where you know like it was it was that kind of transition between your really breaky stuff and your egg land so like it was it was pretty pretty rolling it almost it was almost a little flatter than, than we would like to really put on some good stocks but we could see a long ways and we'd see all these animals like there there's a little there's a little crick running through one of these draws and okay. and like a lot of a lot of green vegetation had some sparse cover and it was just a, it was a spot where they seemed they really wanted to camp out and you know like we're looking at this creek and we look to the other side and then there's like just you know probably head high brush going around and we saw all these deer coming out of the woodwork and a couple of nice ones to chase after and we're like okay let's come up with a game plan figure out how to get to them like we have to kind of cross this really flat area but you know maybe it's going to look a little bit different when we actually get down there and find that there's just like enough rise and change in elevation that we can you know just get ourselves hidden to get within a couple hundred yards and then come up with a game plan from there so you just sure. kept working on getting closer and closer and closer and you know by the time that we got right there then they had kind of fed their way off and jumped a fence. So then they're like basically in bow range looking at us, but we can't do anything about it because it's, oh, a, they moved to private ground. But, um, you know, we just figured we'd come up with a game plan from there in the morning, try and get back on them in that same area. And sure enough, almost got to the exact same spot and, and found them again. And just like before used the little minuscule change in elevation to kind of keep us hidden and get us to that last, last few yards to get that shot yeah that's cool yeah thanks for sharing that when you were kind of telling that story you were like taking me there i was just getting excited <laughs> thinking about like ducking the small your back hurts so bad because you're trying to stay low as you're creeping through the through the ag i'm sure but like mm -hmm. yeah I, I think that's why it, you know there's such an appeal to me they're hunting too is because you're always thinking right you're, it's never easy you know i always say that a big bull we hunt a lot of elk too, but a big bull is out there screaming his head off. You know exactly where he at, where he's at with a buck. Mm -hmm. August, September, October, you have no idea where he's at. And the strategy might be different from August, September, and October. All three months might require a different form of strategy. So they're always keeping you on your toes and you're always thinking. And, you know, they might bet in country in a scree field, for example. But you're not going to be able to stop. You're not going to be able to go down that steep scree field. And be quiet because you're going to be pushing rocks as you go 
So that strategy might require, you know, I've got to ambush him somewhere. Okay, what's he doing? I'm just going to watch him today. I'm not going to go after him. I'm going to, you know, exercise patience here and just really, really refrain from going after him and just try to watch and learn what he does. But then with that element, you're like, well, what if someone else gets in there and sees him and blows him out and stalks him? Maybe I should just go in there today because someone else is going to come in tomorrow and blow him out. You know, so there's that element of the public land and, you know, you know, some other guy that finds this buck just has just as much right to go after this buck that you might have been scouting all summer. So there's this frustrating part about hunting mule deer too. And, mm-hmm. and not to say, I know there's whitetail hunting on public land, but a lot of times Midwest and the East, they set up food plots and uh, require or grabbed up leases or hunting their own farms. And it's just, it's just different with mule deer hunting. It's, uh, it's rugged and relentless. So, yeah, you know, when you, when you finally get that mature mule deer, it's just something. It's just, you just, you just did something special. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. hundred percent. So when you're, when you're doing your mule deer hunting, what do you, what weapon do you prefer? Are you more of a archery equipment guy or do you love the rifle? Yeah. So funny story. I actually started archery hunting. Well, I had a bow since I was a kid. I think for my 12 year old birthday, my parents brought me in bought me an old browning compound and I would I didn't have any sights on it I would just you know shoot it in the backyard the reason that I kind of wanted the bow is because my dad wouldn't let me respectively so he wouldn't let me shoot the guns without it being there you know when I was six seven eight nine ten years old obviously for obvious reasons he didn't want that he didn't have it at home and so we got I got a bow because I could shoot a bow without having to ask for, for permission at home so then I started shooting a bow for a long time then I was out 16, 17, 18. I was like, man, I'm going to hunt big game with my bow. And I, I got a compound. I think I borrowed one from an uncle because couldn't afford a bow at the time and started chasing deer. And I had no idea what I was doing. Right. I climbed a tree one day because I'm like, oh, I see these people on TV climbing tree stands. That's how I need to kill them. There is, is to try to, you know, shoot out of the tree. And long story short, I fell out of the tree and almost got really hurt. Didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, I kind of got busy with college and, and business and a few other things. I didn't bow hunt for a few years until I picked it up until I was about 25. And the, to be honest, the reason I picked it up is because there was more opportunity for tags. I wanted to be hunting because bow hunting's hard, right? Especially out west, it's super hard. Absolutely. And there was more availability because it wasn't as popular back then, right? There wasn't total archery challenge and, and mountain archery festivals where everyone was bowing, uh, uh, shooting a bow and you know, there wasn't social media back then, so there was just so much opportunity. Well, there's not as much opportunity now, but then I fell in love with bow hunting. So that that was the big reason I got into it then. And, and now rifle hunting, I've got into long-range hunting and, and custom rifles and whatnot. So, I mean, the answer is I love them both. Um, I get tags. It just depends on where I can get tags. A lot of years, I'll do 60% bow hunting and 40% rifle, and depending on what tags I draw, it'll be be swapped 60% rifle and 40% bow. And, you know, we hear a lot of guys online and, and comments on our YouTube videos. Oh man, you know, you, you know, you shot that buck from 600 yards. It's probably cause you good thing you don't bow hunt cause you probably can't get closer to the like, actually, actually we get really close with bows too. And we love bow hunting just as much. So just depends on the opportunity in the year, you know, and what we can draw and, and what we can get over the counter and so on and so forth. We love them both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what? My answer is going to be very, very similar. 
So I, I absolutely love bow hunting. You know, like I, I did start shooting a bow probably before I even started shooting a gun. I, I targeted muleys with a bow before I started with a gun. And I absolutely love just that element of having to get close, having to, you know, find one and then to like really look at the terrain and figure out, okay, how can I get close to this animal? And, you know, especially like developing when to wait and when to go after them. Like I, I really enjoy the whole sitting around and waiting and, and calculating my next move like that. That's super. And it does come into, into play with both of them, obviously. But then on the other hand, there's just something about ranging out at like 450, 500 and being able to touch one off and, and get one that way as well. So both of them, both of them are awesome. You know, just as long as you're, as long as you're out there hunting, that's all that really matters. Right. That's all that really matters. And you know, a lot of people say rifle hunting's easy. And I just like, I beg to differ. Rifle hunting, at least out West, isn't easy because bow hunting might be easier early on because at least you've, you're seeing deer, right? Mm-hmm. By the time the rifle season rolls around, we've gone through archery, muzzleloader, and these bucks are educated. They're in the thick timber. There's still leaves on the trees a lot of times. Yeah, you got a gun, but then you can't find it. You know, but when you do find one, yeah, I mean, it's a little easier than getting close than to, to 13 yards and trying to stick one with a bow. You can shoot one from three, four, five, six hundred yards, and that becomes a little bit easier. But there's still an element of challenge, right? Right, hunting's still tough. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. So, what uh, can you walk us through your uh, your rifle setup? What do you like to use for for mule deer? Yeah. So you know what. I'm kind of a little bit of a snob, like I said, with, with customer rifles. And I, I like um, I like trying different calibers, too. And I think you guys carry, actually, a wide variety of uh, custom rifles. I think you guys carry a Christensen, Christensen Arms. Yeah. Now, I, I, think you ha- I think you even have some proof rifles, too, now that you guys carry um, some different proof rifles I've seen in the stores. I believe so. So, yeah, yeah we've we've got basically just about any caliber or rifle and if we don't have it on hand we can we can work on a special order for you yeah okay well um yeah to that point i i shoot a proof rifle um a lot of times i'll shoot a, a custom rifle too with a proof barrel that has a mcmillan stock um, i try to run a, a titanium action too because a lot of times i'm hunting high country uh backpack hunting so i like to have the lightest rifle set up possible but I'll shoot anything from a 6.5 PRC all the way up to a 300 normal from mm-hmm. there. Um, you know, one of my favorite backpacking setup was a 300 Wisdom um, that, that had a proof barrel on as well. Uh, that was just a solid setup. Uh, I'd be shooting a 300 PRC this year just because I, you know, I can, I guess. I just wanted to try <laughs> a, a 300 PRC all year. In fact, I took a few bears this, this spring with a 300 PRC. So, you know, I like to be in that. 22 to 26 inch barrel range uh, lengthwise because I, you know, I, I like to put it on a backpack. Um, you know, I'll try to go with like a 22 inch barrel, especially if I'm going to screw a suppressor on. Uh, one challenge you'll you'll see with with getting a longer barrel is you'll be ducking under timber and you're, if you have it on your pack, you'll, that barrel will snag on stuff. So uh, you're going to want to be cognizant of that when you're buying or, or building a rifle. Um, but I think all around, I mean, a 6.5 PRC on mule deer is just money. Mm-hmm. You, 
use that Hornady ELDX bullet or that ELDM bullet. Um, X is for hunting, M's for match, but they both work great. Uh, they don't advertise the M for hunting, but that's that's a phenomenal bullet too. It's just got a little bit thinner jacket than the X. But man, it, that's a hard one to beat. It's just, it's kind of like, I know the Creed more. I know some people tease about the need more quote, <laughs> but the PRC is a Creed more on roids and it, you can get a little bit bigger bullet out of it and a little more velocity, which results in a more energy downrange. But mm-hmm. I don't know, man, the seven mags good. Uh, I know people are going to write in and be like, why didn't he talk about the 270 and 30 out six? Those are both phenomenal rounds as well. Uh, a lot of good options for guns and, um, uh, mule deer hunting and calibers that, but I try to, I try to get that mid weight on the rifle. I try to make sure I, your glass is almost your most important thing. You've got to have good glass, especially if you're hunting, uh, the high country where your shots are tend to be a little bit longer. And then I like to have something around eight, nine pounds. So that way that when I get behind the gun, I can anchor, I can settle those crosshairs with lighter builds. Uh, eight and under, seven and under, six and under, it can be harder to shoot longer, longer distances because you're just not quite as steady. So, mm-hmm. yep, that, that makes perfect a, sense. You got to kind of find that fine line between having something that's heavy enough so you're super stable in the moment of truth, um, versus having something that's a little bit too heavy and then you're carrying 15, 20 pounds on your back for 15, 20 miles, and that'll yeah. that'll wear you out in a hurry. Yeah, that'll wear you out. And, you know, if you're hunting steep stuff, that'll make you off balance a little bit too. So you got to make sure it's in your pack good so it doesn't kick you down a mountain and, and or you don't lose your footing. But, yeah, I like to be around that 10 to 11 and a half mark for any of my my backpack hunting. And some people might say that's a little heavy, but confidence kills, and I'm confident in those setups right there. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the name of the game is confidence. Just, uh, you know, get something that you feel super comfortable with and you can – repeat performance and get out there and get after it. Yeah. And you, you know, some might be super confident at, uh, six pounds and they just know that I'm never going to shoot over 350 yards and that's okay too. You know, if, if that's what works for you then that's what works for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, people shoot mule deer with a recurve. If you can get within 20 yards, like <laughs> you can get within 350. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of good things there. There's a lot of good things there, a lot of options, good options. Mm-hmm. So question for you, if you've got two bucks out in front of you, both big mature, one of them super tall, one of them super wide, which one are you shooting? You, you didn't, you didn't talk about mass, man. Which ones, have they got the similar mass or what? Let's say similar. That's going, not a factor. We're going wide. Going wide, and why is that? Just because, you know, like it. We I don't I don't know how it is with whitetail hunting, but like a thirty inch wide buck is like a club. There's like a two hundred inch club with me there, mm-hmm. and then there's the thirty inch wide club. And I've now shot two bucks over thirty, and it took me, you know, it took me twenty years to do that. You know, so I'm not quite twenty. I guess I'm not that old, but it's just hard to come by. You know, a 30-inch buck is a 30-inch buck. It's something that our grandpas, our dads always talked about. A 30-inch wide buck is, that's next level. Mm-hmm, for sure. And you know what? My answer is exactly the same, too. You know, it, it brings me back to, like, the first year I went out mule deer hunting. And I, I got to this area, you know, 
I was a little bit later in the morning because it was like the second spot I'd went to. And I caught this group of bucks, this bachelor group transitioning. And I see the first one come out and he's, he's tall, super tall. And I'm like, oh, that's a great buck. And then t- two more behind him were like, okay, a little bit smaller, but like I still would have shot him. And then the last one comes and he looks, you know, he looks pretty good. Nothing super special, like still fairly tall. And they were, they were walking across this clearing. And then all of a sudden I see the back one turn sideways and it's like all a 30 wide. And my eyes just got like saucers. I'm like, Holy smokes. That's the one, that's the one I want. You know, it's just, it's something about that super wide, just that frame. So cool to see. And I came, I came so close to shooting that deer too. Cause like I, I watched him go across this clearing get into a draw area and then it's like, okay, now I can make my move. Scan in the scan in the area. It's like I can drop straight down and there's some brush in front of me so I can get to where it's low. And I can follow that low land and I marked like, okay, that group of trees, they're right next to it. So I get up, I get to the edge of it, I get my binoculars up and I'm like, they gotta be within a couple hundred yards here. So I'm looking and then I see like the tops of tines. Okay, there's one of them. There's two, there's my wide guy. He's in spot. Mm-hmm. He's like bedded, looking away. Wind is right. It is, this is go time now. Okay, <laughs> I got about probably 75 yards to cover before I can get to a shot where I feel super comfortable. And they're like, uh-huh. there, there's this draw and then it goes out and then there's kind of, there's like this tree row where the, where the draw is at. And so I'm like, okay, if I stay at this elevation in the hill, like all these deer are going to be behind the canopy of these trees. So I can get, I can get into range this way. So I'm, I'm crawling through, I'm getting, I'm making sure like they're in the right zone and, and I could see three of the four. So I'm like, okay, well, hopefully that fourth one is in that same spot. And it turns out he wasn't, he was below. So as soon as I got to basically my effective range, that one buck was like, yep, I see you, buddy. This is not going to happen. <laughs> so just one buck messed the whole thing up. Yeah. And, that, and it seems like there's always a sentinel buck with meal there. It's like, it's, cause they're in bachelor groups in the summer, right? So they're, yeah. there, and they're hanging out with all their buddies cause they're not any of the ladies yet. And it seems like there's always this super, super smart buck that just has this uncanny ability to pick out things that aren't right. And for me, I hunted this 200 inch buck for two years, called him Old Red. And he, he wouldn't, he'd hang out with this permanent two point, the two point that would never grow any bigger. Maybe this two point was like 10 years old. But I, this two point screwed me up so many times and made me so mad. It made me just, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta kill this two point. Why don't I just put my tag on this two point? I'm sure he'll taste great because if I don't kill this two point, I'm never gonna kill this 200 inch buck. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, so it, I don't know, man. It's that early season stuff. You just remind me of that story because you got you got picked out by one of the other bachelor bucks. Mm-hmm. And you you know what? It happens. I mean, like you you can't go into mule deer hunting expecting a successful stock every time. Like. I don't, I don't care how good you are, how many times you've done it, like how confident you feel in this situation. Like there's just always factors that like 
are out of your control, like whether it's the, the wind will swirl or like cloud cover will change in a spot that he was feeling comfortable in the shade. Now he's got to move, you know, like there's just, there's always something that, that can't be accounted for. But, yeah, you know, so when it all factors. goes together, it's magical, yeah. man. It, it is magical. Like the, the coyote that bumps into you that you had no idea was there or the, the doe that you literally almost stepped on that blew the other deer out. Like there's so many factors, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, the, or the helicopter flies over and busts them all out or airplane or whatever. It might be. It's crazy. Yep. That's just hunting for you. So, um. Let's talk about some uh, some tips. Let's let's do some stalking tips. What are some what's some advice you have for people out there that that want to get into mule deer hunting but haven't really tried the whole spot and stalk thing? Yeah, well, I, I think um, one thing to think about would be it's a numbers game, right? Get on this if you're just barely hunting mule deer with a bow for the first time. It's a numbers game. Get on as many stalks as you can. So the most successful mule deer hunters there are out there with a bow say that about one in every 10 stocks is successful. So if you're a novice bow hunter hunting mule deer, think of how many more it's gonna take you. So I, I think for stocking, make sure you're getting on plenty of stocks. Number two, um, obviously make sure you're getting the wind right, right? Wind is everything. These these mule deer have noses like you wouldn't believe, a lot like other, other animals, I'm sure. And then they have these sonar-like ears, these giant ears that can pick up movement like you wouldn't believe. So making sure that you're ultra quiet, you know, you can't get away with anything. So make sure your setup that's on your chest rig, whether it's your vinyl harness or your pack or your bow, there's no clinking, ticking, um, arrows hitting rest or arrows falling off rest and tinking your aluminum bow. Whatever it is, you have to make sure you are whisper quiet because if not, he's going to hear you and you're going to blow him out. So making sure your setup is dialed and back to that word we just talked about, confidence. Making sure you're ultra confident in your ability to make a stock, get your gear that you need, your range finder, your release, and everything on there, and come to full draw without making a bunch of ruckus. That's that's going to be the biggest thing. Because what you can get away hunting other big game, you can't get away with hunting over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that first tip you gave on, uh, you know, like just – getting out there and stalking animals i agree with you a hundred percent you know the the first time i went out mule deer hunting like the first buck or the first group that we saw like they probably weren't ones that we wanted to hunt but it's like oh this is a perfect practice situation it was kind of that like midday time where you don't see a ton of animals running all over the place so it's like okay you know like if we burn an hour here like maybe it's not helping us directly tag one right now but it's going to help us be ready for future stuff yeah it's like that's that's a great tip just get out and try it and you know like you, you get up there you do a successful stock and you get to like the point where you could actually like pull back and be okay i could have tagged this one that's that's yeah. just a huge boost for your confidence factor too it's like okay i i can do this yeah absolutely and, you know, you just reminded me of something there where you kind of tell them, tell them that story there. You can't take risks. Don't risk the win. Don't do it. You, you're, you're, you're not going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trying to get across an opening and where you've got to get to another bush, 
I wouldn't take that risk. You, you've spent three hours getting as far as you have. Don't take that risk at 20 yards trying to get to that next bush where you've got no cover. Because all it takes is one to put his head up and look towards you and the whole thing's gone. Sure. Seems like the second you pick up, like one, one just happens to lift its head up. So mm-hmm. your risk taking is almost has to be, it has to be nil. That's, that's definitely one thing you have to learn when mule deer hunting is like when you need to be patient versus when you need to make that move. Yeah. Cause like so many, I mean, that's, that's gotta be the reason for probably a majority of blown stocks is like, just make sure to take your time and know that what you're doing, it isn't going to booger them out of there. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Have you ever been in that situation where you've been like, man, I got to get to that bush right now. If I can get to that bush right now, I'm going to kill this deer. And you you either didn't listen to your gut and the deer walked by and you totally would have smoked one or, you know, you didn't think inside your head that you could get there undetected. And if you had the confidence to get there, you would have killed that buck. Has that ever happened to you? Because that's happened to me. Like, I got to get to that bush right now. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. It it happened a couple of years ago. Actually, it was it was a really nice buck. It was it was a tall one, it wasn't the wide one. But he was still like one look at him. Yep, this is the one I want to go after. I know I was I was coming around the edge of this draw, and then all of a sudden I see him on the other side, and it's like okay, well, I, I'm in a good position to just observe right now, and I, I got to see what this buck does. And I look at you know look at the terrain around me. It's like. So there's a, there's a big tree that's covering a lot of stuff. And then there's a smaller bush to the side of it. And I just look at that and it's like, okay, well, where I'm at right now, if I can, if I can actually go back, then I can get that big tree in between the two of us. And then I can go down and across and I can get to that bush. And once I get to that bush, then that's, that's where I'm going to be in the chips. So I'm yeah. like looking over this situation in my head and I'm just getting ready to move. And then all of a sudden there's another deer that comes from the other side of the draw walking through. And I was literally like just about to pack up my stuff and, and get going after this buck. And that one comes through and I'm like, oh, if that one would have came like 15 seconds later, the whole gig would have been up. Oh, man. You know, so yeah, just definitely like before you make that move, like, double check, triple check your surroundings because a lot of, a lot of times it's not your target buck that's going to catch you. It's going to be something else around your surroundings. Absolutely. So, yeah. You know what I think is underutilized in tight quarter situations, your binoculars. Mm-hmm. Pull out your binos and be looking under each piece of sagebrush to make sure there's not an alternate buck bedded that you didn't previously know about or that you're not seeing antler tips and they're closer than you thought. You know, I think that's one thing that you reminded me. I was, I was, so that story you just told, I was imagining you and a coolie sneaking through, trying to get to a buck and you had brush all around you. And I would, I would, you just got me thinking, man, I'd be scanning all that brush to make sure that there wasn't one better that you didn't know about, you know? Mm-hmm, for sure. And the other thing that you reminded me of was uh, never count your chickens before they hatch. Because how many stocks have you ever been on and you're like, this is done? This is, this is so easy and so perfect that I got this. And then I, it seems like every time I thought this, like I have this buck, oh, this thing's screwed. He's in trouble and it, it doesn't work out. You're like, how did that not work out? Yeah. Like, 
because I already imagined it was over. I, I imagined how I was going to cape him out and what, what kind of turn I was going to have. <laughs> what pose he's going to have on the yeah, wall. Yeah, yeah. What pose he's going to have. What, oh, what taxidermist might have for this one? You know? <laughs> it just humbles you, man. You've got to be on your game all the time. Don't You just can't count your chickens before you have, they hatch, and you, you can't think it's over. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they live in the wild. They're looking for predators all the time. Yep. A hundred percent. A lot of times with, with that issue, it's like, I'll start on my stock. And then once you actually get down into the thick of things, it's like, wow, this is a whole different world. This is way different than what I, what I imagined it would be. hundred percent. Yep. And that's where like, I've found that finding a reference point on your animal is like crucial. You know, like the, the buck I killed with my rifle a few years back you know, I, I ranged him and he was at 780 and that's like, okay, that's, that's not something I'm comfortable with. I want to get closer. And so it's like, okay, I got to cover some ground and I get kind of down to try and get closer. And then it's, it's way different than what I anticipated. You know, like you can see what's in front of you on that like first rise, but if he's like one or two hills over, it's like you can get over that first rise and then it's like a completely different world out there. But if you don't, if you have a good reference point, like the tallest tree next to it, like I'll range the tallest tree close to him and then I'll range the animal and it's like, okay, it's, he's 75 yards away from that tree. So then I know like, okay, I want to keep the top of that tree visible at all times or at least know where it's at for sure then if i if i happen to not see that animal i can still get a good idea of where he's at 100 percent. no you Mm -hmm. i'm glad you brought that up that's a that's a awesome tip right there you know especially when you're going in country that you've never stocked before or area you've never hunted if you can if you can point out those reference points and and know okay there's a big kind of burnt tree right here um, he's just beyond that, as opposed to not paying attention to that burnt tree and getting over there and be like, okay, was it this tree, that tree, or that tree? I don't remember. And then you're just being lazy and casual and looking around, and all of a sudden you're going to get busted, right? Um, two, I would say there's a new feature that is super, super cool. And um, if, if you use a map, which most of us do, right, um, especially a, a digital app, base map actually has this um, new feature called an XDR line, which is exact direction and range. And you hit the middle button and it projects this scale with distances. So that way, if you're like, okay, that buck bedded right there, you can literally point your phone and a compass and scale will come out and you, you can see how far you are from the bedded buck without having to range it. Or you could see that clump of trees and you could range from there. And then you'll know, okay, if I get to that clump of trees, He's bedded just beyond that. I should be within twenty yards if I can get to that clump of trees. Yeah, that's so pretty. Some- that's pretty cool. And and you know that brings up a point. Like when you're trying to stock something, it you know it may be a lot farther than you really think. Like so, you range it and it's eight hundred yards. You gotta you gotta take into account that you're you're likely going down since you spotted an animal from a higher point, and then you're going back up, back down, whatever. So like. You could be traveling 1,500 yards to get to that 800 yards where the animal is at, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's a lot of tools to be able to help us, but the, the ultimate tool is right between your ears, and that's and that's 
that's getting reference points. I think that's one thing you got to do, regardless of what technology you have or using your tools or the skills that you have as a bow hunter. I think that's the big thing is just making mental notes. And a lot of times, yeah, it, just making that mental note is huge. Mm -hmm. So how, how aggressive are you willing to be based off of wind direction? You know, like obviously you have to have the wind in your favor when you're doing this stuff, but at like, at what sort of crosswind are you comfortable to like go after an animal? Yeah. So it's going to depend a lot on conditions. Wind. So if you have a little bit of wind, it's a double-edged sword. Um, it's going to mask some of your noise, which is a good thing for mule deer, right? So that means you're going to be able to approach your stock more aggressively. You're going to be able to go quicker and harder. So it's good for that, but it's, it's also bad because if there is enough wind and it shifts, you're in trouble, right? The box is mm -hmm. going to smell you. So, and then if it's dry, especially out west, let's say like this year, those leaves and brush is going to be so balsam root is, a, is another uh, big fat leaf thing that grows up here. Uh, that's going to be like stepping on firecrackers. It's going to be so loud. So it, again, it's going to depend on conditions and how much drought we've had. Now, if it's dry, I don't go very fast at all. I would rather I would rather miss the opportunity and go slow and have them beat me to a transition point than blow them out because I'll know I'll have another opportunity if I can get there quicker the next day or the or the, or, or the evening. Um, but you can get away with a lot of things with a, a nasty wind because it just that's why the deer mule deer don't like the wind because I just think it muffles yeah. up all their senses. It's a good if you've got a good wind, it's a good opportunity to go. One. But one of the other challenges with the wind is, is too, if you've got to get really close because you're going to have, unless you know how your shoot, arrow shoots an extreme wind, which most of us don't practice for extreme wind, you're going to have a hard time hitting that animal. And you don't want to hit another animal and you don't want to hit it bad because we all know what happens when you don't hit one bad with a bow. It's just like, oh man, it's a, it's a gut venture. It's something you, I hope you're, everyone's going to experience at some, some point. Mm -hmm. Not on wood. Hopefully, it isn't us anytime soon, but it, it happens. So, yeah, so, sooner or later, it's just it's going to happen. It's it's the nature of the beast with that one. And you are right on with the whole the whole wind and the level of wind too, because it's like the more wind you have, the more you're going to get away with, but the lower your effective range is going to be. Because like you can be out at the range and you can like you can hit that pie plate ten out of ten times at a hundred yards. You can be feeling great. And then you get out there into a situation where the wind is blowing and you're holding that full draw. Like it is, yeah. it's not easy to, to, you know, to no. keep that pin on that animal. And you gotta, you gotta keep in mind ethics at that point. Right. And even on, I'm picturing you in the Badlands, right? Uh, coming up over top on some ag, gonna shoot down into a coulee. I mean, just trying to get your bubble level and a little bit of wind, that's frustrating as can be. You know, and that's even hard to do. Let's get that bubble level when shooting down. You got something. Mm -hmm, for sure. So, all right. I am. I'm curious about some story time here. Do you have? A, do you have a favorite mule deer hunting story for us? Oh man, I got a good one. So, so back to that mule deer country series. I'll, I'll tell. I'll tell a shorter version of it. So Tyler and I are on day 13 of this mule deer hunt. Right. I. I think. Yeah, he, I had a stint in between this time that we headed back to the high country and we were due for some weather. So I, I hike up to 11,000 
feet or so or whatever it was. You know, I set up my tent, my Vivian, and get all my gear together, and, and I go to sleep that night. Well, I wake up literally to the tent frozen to the top of my forehead because <laughs> it had snowed and piled up all this snow on my Hillebird. And it, I literally had to fill it off the top of my uh, top of my forehead. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I went to put my feet in my boots. My boots were frozen from the sweat from the day before. So I couldn't even get my feet in my boots. I'm like, oh my gosh, I this is horrible. So then I zip open the tent, you know, and I look out there, and this is September. And I look out there and there's a foot of snow. And it's like 25 blowing white out. I'm like, oh my gosh. I've waited this long to draw this tag and and um, a part of me wanted to quit. A part of me wanted to give up and be like, you're stupid. You're the only one in here. You're the only one dumb enough to come in here. You're up here solo. You're trying to film this by yourself. Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I was, I, I was having this mental battle. Like, oh, I should be home. I should be with my family and kids. I'm just wasting my time up here. And I was like, no, I pushed through it. I'm like, I'm not going to quit. I don't give up. I pushed through, have the mental fortitude. I'm like, okay, I've got to make this more bearable for me. What can I do to try to alleviate this situation? So I fire up my jet boil, right? And I just got it going full bore. And I got a full thing of, uh, uh, of gas. And so I'm just trying to pour on pine needles, trying to do everything I could do to start a fire. Every, it was pouring the night before, and then it came in and rained on top of that and froze. I couldn't, I, tr- I, I had that thing in, and I couldn't light anything on fire. I had that thing going full bore. I couldn't find sticks. Everything was too wet, and I couldn't, I'm like, I gotta get out of here. I'm gonna freeze to death up here. So I'm like, okay, well, I don't wanna lose 2,000 feet of elevation so that I can start a fire by, oh, screw it. I, I've gotta go, or I'm not gonna make it. So I did down 2,000 feet in elevation. I'm like, that sucks, I gotta climb back up here. But I'm just like, I gotta try to get a fire start. In fact, when I was headed up there, I ran into a park ranger that's like, hey, it's supposed to storm, and I wouldn't go in here if I were you. And he, he was on horseback. I'm like, no, it, it doesn't look like it's gonna storm. And I got, I got to film a tag, right? It took me five years to draw this tag. And so anyway, I uh, I get down there and I finally get a fire started. I start, my spirits start to lift, right? I knew that Tyler was coming in. He was going to meet me with horses. Little sucker. I had to I had to sweat it out that night. He gets to come in on horses, doesn't have to hike in, it doesn't have to freeze. Man, I was mad. <laughs> and, and anyway, so I finally got this fire started. It took me two, three hours and I got some of my gear dried out. Some of the clouds started to leave and man, I, I see, I can do hard things. You know, I, I got it out here. I'm the, now I'm the only guy on the mountain because it's just such horrible weather. And I set myself up for an absolutely fantastic opportunity in the wilderness, you know? And uh, so anyway, I dry my stuff out and I start heading back in there and I get to the top of this pool and the wind's just whipping. It was like, it was almost unbearable to be up there with the way that I'm sure you've been cut by the wind before. Mm-hmm. It goes right through all your layers. You know, you're trying to glass and your eyes are so watery. And then again, I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm just wasting my time. Today. You know, so I'm like, no, there's one more day, Eric. Just hack it. You can do it. Tyler will be up here. So Tyler eventually gets up there and we get into the bull and we're glassing and there's just no deer. It, it goes back to the hard horn stuff, right? We can't find deer. The deer that we'd scouted early in the season were ghosts. And there was a lot of timber around. I'm like, well, they've got to be here. Like, maybe all the hunters shot them when we weren't here. You know, you, all these things going through your mind on public land where, you know, the biggest battle you have is six inches between your ears, right? You're, tr- you're trying to quit. Everything's telling you to get up and quit. And I'm like, no, okay, 
okay, let's let's hike around this base and it's six inches of snow and, and some, there was drifts and it was just it was just tough going. And we eventually warmed up because we got hiking a little bit, got our stuff drying. I had I actually got a little bit of sliver of cell service. I'm like, Tyler, bring me a lighter, bring me fire starter, bring me new socks, bring me food because I was just so miserable. Right? Yeah, everything you need to recharge. Yeah, everything I needed to recharge, but I had this mental boost because I knew that Tyler was coming in. I knew I survived the worst of it. It was kind of letting up. I got my stuff dried out, so my spirits were good, you know? So as we're going around this base, and I'm like, I look back at Ty, and he's a little bit behind me, and I'm like, what's he doing? He's glassing down there. And he brought a friend to help with horses, and he glassed down there, and he found a buck. He's like, well, there's a buck down here. I'm like, well, how big is it? And he's like, I don't know. I'm going to kill it. (laughs) Okay. Sounds good. So here, here I'm thinking, I'm like, Tyler comes in here. I'm the one that had to sweat it out here in this awful storm. I had to sleep up here by myself, freeze. And Tyler comes in here and spots a buck, and he's going to kill it. And I'm like, oh, man. So then I was moping, right? I had kind of a little bit of a bad attitude. I'm like, come on, man. Pick your head up. Tyler's going to go kill that buck. you got to go find one for yourself. So I, I, I whip around the basin, and I bump out a buck. He goes running across. And I, I get up to range him. And it was so cold that I couldn't feel my hands. And I went to range this buck heading across the basin. My rangefinder dropped. So there's a four point, the last day of the season, probably 160 inch buck. I go to range him and he's probably, I don't know, four to 700 yards. I couldn't tell because of the snow and the lighting and, and everything else was going on. My brain was foggy and, and he was running. It was just, friendly. I dropped my rangefinder in snow and I can't find it. Oh. I'm like, you're kidding me. So I'm like, then all of a sudden when I'm looking for this, this rangefinder here, boom, boom. Oh, well, Tyler just killed a deer. Here, I got a deer here I can't kill because I can't find my rangefinder. And I just wasn't going to start launching rounds at it, you know. I felt like that would be irresponsible. So, hour later, I finally find my rangefinder in the snow. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This just isn't my brain. I'm like, I'm just starting to get depressed and beat myself up a little bit. I'm like, no, no. Don't give up. Keep going. Earn it. And that, those are the things that kept going through my mind. Don't give up. Keep going. Earn it. So anyway, I'm like, well, Tyler killed a buck. I'll hike across these cliffs and go back to the basin and, and see what I can see. I haven't checked out that spot for a long time. And I scouted it earlier in the season. So we have rifles at this point, right? This is a, this is a rifle at this point. And uh, so anyway, we go over to that other basin. And I sit down there, take my pack off, and I look down in the snow. I glass. I look down in the snow. There's two bucks with a monster buck. I'm like, you got it, kid. 180 yards. So I went I went to set up the camera to film it. I'm like, screw it, it's the last day of the season. I can't, I can't mess this up. Buck, buck, they kind of spook. He goes up. You know, and I see just a big old cheater on the edge of it. Anyone that anyone that their hunts knows you get a buck with a cheater, it's special. It's just something Absolutely. special. So this, buck, this buck runs up. Ooh, smoking. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you gotta be kidding me. And I was all by myself. I didn't know where Tyler was. And I finally was able to send off a text to Tyler. I'm like, hey, got a buck down. He's like, are you kidding me? Because he killed his in a hellhole, right? Down the very bottom. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up killing mine in a hellhole. I'm like, dude, you gotta kill him. Help. So I told him where to meet me, told him how to find me, sent him a, sent him a marker. He meets up with me. And uh, I get up to this buck, and I'm just like, I can't believe it. I was thinking like 170, 175, and now I'm up to this buck, and I'm like, 
190, 195 on the last day of the season when so many times I wanted to give up. And Tyler could only see the – he walked. I was kind of like trying to position the deer, take photos. And he walked up the deer's antlers from the bushes. He's, he walks up to the buck and he could just see the big fork. He's like, oh, you shot a two point. <laughs> I'm like, what? No, nah, it's got so a I couple more up, than I, that. Yeah, I pulled up the whole rack out of the snowy, snowy brush. He's like, oh, my gosh, dude. That thing's a giant. I said, well, let me see the one you killed. And he shows me the one he killed. And this thing is the buck you talked about. A tall, if you shoot a wider tall one. He shot this tall buck that was just pop camp, just giant. It, like, we joked about it, that it had the body size as big as a spike elk. So here we are on the two last day of the seasons. We killed two slammer bucks on public land on on a day that we had no business hunting, and we pulled we pulled it off. It, that was probably one of the most incredible stories of mule deer hunting. It was I wanted to tell that story because we almost gave up. Mm-hmm. We almost quit, and we didn't, and we grinded out, and we killed two of the most incredible mule deer bucks I've ever seen. So. That's really awesome. That's a good story. It actually reminds me of my my first mule deer buck too, because it was like inclement weather like that. Because we'd we'd found this buck and it was like the sun was coming down, and he, he was in range. We got to I think we got to like four seventy five something. It's like on the on the long end of what I feel comfortable shooting, but I feel okay. And he was with a group of other deer. And they drop down into this like kind of brushy area. So then I'm thinking, okay, well, they're going to filter through a little bit sooner or later. And I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be prone over my pack. I'm going to be ready to go. I've already ranged it. I've already dialed to where I want to. And probably a half an hour later, this buck comes out and I'm getting ready to touch off. And something's like, uh, something just doesn't feel right. Let me, let me take a breath, look at it again. And I look again and I'm like, that is not the buck that I wanted to shoot. It just can't be. And it turns out it wasn't. So thankfully I didn't touch off on that one, but then it got dark on us. So it's like, okay, they, they got to be in that vicinity the next morning. We'll just, you know, like we'll head back to that spot. And as soon as the sun's rising, we'll be there glass and hopefully find them again. So I wake up in the morning and there's, 10 inches of snow and it's blowing like crazy and and there was no snow before and so i'm like okay this is this is absolutely miserable conditions you know (laughs) but what i have on my side is i'm in public land and no one else is going to go back there when it snowed 10 inches and it's currently a snowstorm you'd have to be crazy to do that yeah or you'd had to have found the buck that you wanted to shoot and you're willing to do whatever it takes to get after him which i was scenario number two and so we get to that spot and it's just blowing like crazy in our face you can hardly see through binoculars and i'm like well based off of all my years of hunting that deer is going to be in the thickest nastiest stuff that i'm going to find he's going to want to get out of this so it's like okay i'm just going to go after him so there was there was three really good draws in that area where i'd seen him the night before so I go down, I go to the first one, and I'm, it, the wind isn't great for it. It's kind of like a crosswind. So I start, at the, I start at the bottom on the first one, and I'm thinking, like, okay, I'll go up through. Like, the wind should be pushing off of this, off of this draw, and I should be okay. So I get, like, a quarter of the way through, and then I see deer bumping out on top. 
I'm like, okay, well, that is not the right way to do it. I, there, there was no way I would have an opportunity at this deer. I need to get the, the elevation in my favor a little bit and still be good enough with the wind where, where I shouldn't get busted. So I'm like, okay, the next draw, I'm going to get to like the halfway point and glass a bunch and then kind of work my way through. So I do that and I get like, I glass and I don't see anything. And I get like two steps in to the thicker stuff. And all of a sudden the deer comes out on the bottom and it's the buck that I was after. I was like, come on, I just can't win on this. You know, like, I feel like I got to go higher to get the elevation in my favor. And then I screw it up where if I would have done the first one, you know, like I'd probably got to look at. And I watched this buck go through the bottom around the next rise, just majestic, you know, trotting through like, there's my hopes and dreams trotting away right now. And I sit there and I contemplate what's going on. I go to my pack and I grab a sandwich and I'm just sitting in my sorrow there. And (laughs) I'm like, the wind is not good for going after this deer, but he's the only tracks. Like I know where that deer went. I can get on his tracks. I can follow. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to follow him. He went at least a half of a mile. So I get around and I get to that next next hill where i saw him gone and then i I feel the wind and it's like okay it's more of a crosswind over here i think i'm gonna be okay so i get so i get down and i get down into this nasty stuff and i'm going super super slow because like i got the whole day i got nothing but time the only thing the only issue i have is like it's still snowing and the tracks start to go away a little bit so i have to kind of at least be able to stay on these tracks and i see these tracks go to the right and then go to the left and it's like, oh, okay, he's going to find a place to bed now. So I'm yeah, just okay. like old school tracking, finding this deer. Yeah, and cool. as, soon, as soon as I saw like, okay, he went left and I start going left and he pops up and he, he didn't know what was going on. Like it's super windy. The wind was still good enough. And he goes and he, he bumps. And then but while he's bumping, like I still have my scope covers on because like I don't want to get all snowed up and whatnot. So I'm fumbling with my scope covers like, ah, I got to get a shot at this thing. And he stops at like 150 to 180. So it's like I got to freehand this. But he's, he's standing broadside. Like I still feel right. confident with this shot. And I shoot and I hit him just a hair back. You know, it's like I, I saw him buckle. I saw him get ready to go down. So I'm like, okay, he's, he's hit good. He's going to bed right away. He goes over the, he, he goes over this hill. And like, at that point it's, it's snowing more, you know, like, so, right. so I'm at kind of a, I kind of have to go after this deer because like I I'm on a blood trail now. So like, I know where he's going. I can see the tracks, but they're going to go away soon. So I'm going after this deer and I get over the rise and then there he is. And we lock eyes immediately. And then he's like, takes off again I'm like oh wow did I uh, I didn't I didn't quite know if that was the right decision or the wrong decision but I end up just keeping following this thing and he ended up doubling back all the way to where he was initially bedded and I ended up getting him there so it was just it was wild it's just the things you run into yeah, the things you run into. That was pretty cool how you deployed the old school track and used the snow to your advantage. That was a good play there. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of throw out all the, you know, throw out all the loops and just go for it at some at some point, you know. Yeah, you know, but a yeah, lot of people say that white, white tail hunting is, is a game of 
uh, chess, but I think mule deer hunting is like the game of strategy. Like, mm-hmm. it just depends on the weather. It depends on, you know, the conditions. It, you know, there's so many different, depends on the time of the year. There's so many factors that go into a successful mule deer hunt. And I think both of our stories just kind of showed that, how they were, you know, not giving up and then you use tracking. And, that's, and then how, how big was that? Bus? Oh, he's probably around that. 170 mark i would say so i mean for for my first mule deer like i'm taking that for sure he was he didn't have a ton of mass but he had a great frame so and like yeah it was just it was that it was one of those bucks where like because i had passed up a lot of muleys before i went after that one it was like you know nice deer some of them are mature with not great headgear but like stuff a lot of people would shoot but I was like, yeah, I waited sure. seven years for this tag, and my wife had sh- my wife had actually filled that tag when she got drawn. She shot a really really nice mule deer, and that was kind of my that was my starting point. Like I can't let my wife have a bigger buck on the wall than me, so I got it. <laughs> like I can't go after it unless I know without a doubt is bigger than that one. So, and that was, yeah, that was, that was the first one that I saw was, yep, he's bigger. He's, I'm going after him. It feels good to, you know, pass on bucks and finally take the one you want. Yeah. Oh, it, it really does. It's, it's super rewarding. Like when you get to that stage in hunting where, where it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to target mature deer now. I'm going to set myself a goal. And if it's not at that, I'm not going to let excitement get the best of me. And I'm going to really go for what I, what I set my sights for initially. It's a pretty yeah. cool feeling. And then, you know, it's something you, you, you start learning a lot more too. You know, it's like to, to kill a deer is one thing, but to kill a mature deer is almost a totally different game. 100%. 100% time and dedication and skill level. Takes, yeah, you can get lucky. You know, you can get mm-hmm. lucky. You, yeah, you can get lucky takes. and so many people do but yeah. yeah and the sacrifice it takes and that's that's why when you see guys consistently do it year after year bow rifle whatever you just that goes off to them. you know it's impressive yep a hundred percent well that's awesome you've uh you know you've told some great stories left some left some good tidbits um so do you have you have one takeaway for us for uh, for if somebody's gonna go out and wants a mule deer hunt this year, well, the the one takeaway. Yep. Oh man, start accumulating points because it's almost doesn't just it almost just doesn't happen anymore. Tags getting harder and harder to come by. So, um, but I, I would say if the one tech the one takeaway when you finally get that tag is the amount of work that you're gonna have to put in and work in all sorts of facets. Facets in the sense of research, e-scouting, um, and then actually scouting boots on the ground and then getting it done. Don't think it's going to be easy. Uh, you know, there can be easy ones and there can be lucky ones. But plan on working your guts out. That's that's what I love about it. And, you know, it's like like you said, the harder you work, the more rewarding it is. So plan on putting in work and know that, you know, if, if you are lucky enough to tag out, that it's going to be special. Mm-hmm absolutely be willing to work hard and you know sit back and just enjoy it too you know like you won't be able to do this forever but your memories will last forever absolutely 100 awesome well you know what thank you so much for your time for uh for the people 
for people who want to continue following along with you, how do they, uh, how do they stay connected? Yeah. Um, reach out to us on Instagram, follow us there, Muley underscore freak. Um, we also have a YouTube channel where we post a lot of videos, uh, subscribe to us there. You can also uh, follow me personally, Muley freak underscore Eric with a K E R I K and checks out there. So it was an honor, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you very much. And then, uh, you do have like an apparel line and buy no harness. If you're near the, if you're near the Sandy Utah Shields, they, they have them in store, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. We're there in Sandy and, uh, also check us out online. So either or either works great for us. We love supporting our dealers as well. So. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time, Eric, time and wisdom and, uh, you know, best of luck this upcoming season. Hey, you too, brother. Thanks for having me. Thank you. You just heard our conversation with Eric Van Workham of Muley Freak on mule deer hunting tips, tactics, and strategies. Now, if this is something you want to get into but need equipment, make sure to head to your local Shields or visit Shields.com. We'll have everything you need to get ready for the upcoming season and experts that'll help you every step of the way, fit you into exactly what you need for your specific situation. If you like what you heard today, please give us a follow on the listening platform you chose. And with that, we want to thank you all for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.